Welcome to podcast number 12, The Power of Relationships Part 2, The Spousal Relationship. And now, when I say the spousal, spousal relationship, and this includes serious dating, fiancé, significant others, uh, good friendships, and so forth. So I don't believe that anybody would dispute that this type of relationship differs greatly from the parental relationship we discussed in part one. The spousal relationship is the melting of two worlds into one. It is the taking traditions of the fathers, cultural tendencies, experiences, life lessons, personality, gospel knowledge and understanding, belief, faith, and even life itself, and blending this into, at times, two opposing worlds into one complete whole. To say that it takes work is an understatement. To say that it can't, that it can be done without effort, compromise, determination, love, understanding, and selflessness is to underestimate the condition of the natural man. There will be difficult choices that will determine more than two people's eternity. Anyone who has lived in the in the committed relationship beyond the initial love potion chemicals knows of what I speak. Now, it's not my intent to provide a lesson on how to make a marriage work. And when I mean work, I mean to the point of exaltation. I just want to carve out that portion of the relationship where depression meets the realities of the relationship. Now, I don't know, perhaps there's really no carving out um, any a certain portion of the relationship because I think really depression probably affects the majority of it. We talk about compromise and that it takes two individuals to make a marriage work and that each must put forth his and her effort. Yes, that is true, but there are times when the load is far greater on one than the other. Sometimes in our lives, one of us becomes ill and for no other reason than God has allowed it, they can only carry their own weight. Sometimes even that load is just too difficult for them and we must carry both loads. So the responsibility shifts and the burden becomes greater upon the one who is healthy and strong. It always seems to be the case that one pulls harder than the other for a while. There is no sense looking back and seeing some type of injustice and resentment, for if the ill could pull, they would. It is not a matter of spite, it's a matter of illness, and something that cannot be simply fixed by the squaring of shoulders and pulling harder. And yes, sometimes illnesses can't be seen but they are just as debilitating and just as difficult as if the muscles didn't have the capacity and the brain didn't do its function. However, for the one who is pulling an ever-increasing and difficult load, if only because of the distance, sometimes tired and achy bodies and minds resort to blame and shame. Oh, they shouldn't, but they do. So given that the illness is real, and so is the additional load, there are a few things that I would, that I would hope, would help he or she who is pulling the extra load. So what do you do when the load is heavy and the companion is ill, especially in these terms, mentally ill? First thing you have to do is identify it. I don't know why depression is so difficult to detect in one spouse or significant other, but it is, especially when the depression comes after the relationship is well established. Even with the benefit of having the disease, it took far too long for me to see it in my wife after she had had her daughter with her postpartum depression. I know that one of the reasons is that it isn't a sudden change. 
Depression can take months to develop in a person, and the slow attrition of happiness isn't recognizable. When do you say it's depression or it isn't depression? When does it cross the threshold of a bad month to something far more intense? I don't know all of the answers to that question, but I can say that if you think somebody may have depression, it's probably already likely well underway. We often recognize it later than we should. So if it has crossed your mind, I would suspect that the individual is probably already within the grasp of the disease. If we suspect our companion or significant other has the illness, then what? First thing is to recognize that it is an illness and will not get better without treatment and then management of the treatment. Trying to fix the disease if it were a bad day or an adjustment of attitudes is likely to cause far more problems than not doing anything at all. What they need is help. Now, I would start with the many websites describing the disease and then to review those same websites with your companion or the person who is afflicted. You will need to help them see what they feel is not their fault because they will feel that it is. Then you will need to help with finding resources to manage the disease. The counselor, doctor, others who have battled the disease, and so forth. This is one of the first steps in the relationship that needs to happen for things to get better. So the caregiver must see the difference in their companion as a disease and then do their best to understand what that means. Now, what adjustments will they need to make? Or what does it mean that your companion has or significant other has a disease? One, communication. Remember that the disease will cause a significant difference in your companion's ability to communicate effectively. Not only do they not have the desire to speak, they will also have what is referred to as a foggy brain. They will not think clearly, and it will affect their ability to make decisions, be creative, and it even affects their own personality. They will not be the same person as they were before. You may have many one-sided conversations, even though they are talking. You may have to make many more of the serious decisions. However, keep communicating, keep laughing, do your best to be yourself. Your companion needs it even if they cannot be themselves. Continue to communicate, even if the answers don't come as often as they did. Once you have identified the disease, you will need to, be lo you'll need to lovingly remind the significant other that you are aware, that you want to help, and that you desire them to recover. Now, two, love and affection. The manner in which your companion will show their love will change, and often significantly. Remember, they don't feel positive emotions at times, and so they, can so they can't really demonstrate them physically or emotionally. This doesn't mean that you should change the way you show your love. It just means that you may not see or feel the reciprocal love. This will be difficult and feel as though your companion has lost their love for you. This isn't the case. It is simply covered by that dark cloud that is depression. Their love is still just as strong as it ever was. They will take everything you give as love and not return much at times. This is going to be the difficult part of the relationship. As culturally and intuitively, we place a great deal of emphasis on the subject of love and affection. Three, attachment. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to describe this, but your companion is likely to become either very withdrawn from the relationship or just the opposite. They may be what you would refer to as clingy and attached and want your attention all of the time. 
He'll want to snuggle and sit by you, holding hands and so forth. I would say that the withdrawn is more likely to be men and the attached is more likely to be women, but it happens differently to everyone. The depressed person will naturally gravitate to whatever provides the best relief from the disease. If they obtain more positive chemicals by touch and having someone near them all the time, then they are far more likely to be attached. And this attachment will also include phone calls, texts, and other methods of connection. Now, for someone living in the normal world, this can feel smothering and overwhelming. If you look at it in the sense of a normal person, understand that it is the body's natural reaction to consistent pain and emotional distress and is a form of medication. Also note that there are individuals who simply are like this normally. Now, fourth, entertainment. While this is not true for everyone, for the majority of cases, the disease has a tendency to push individuals towards withdrawing from their own life in living in the lives of others. Movies, televisions, books, video games all provide this type of removal from their own personal life. They are trying to escape the pain and suffering by absorbing themselves somewhere else. It is a form of self-medication and is very common. Social media can also be a very addictive form of this type of self-medication. So try to understand when the person watches significant amount of media or is absorbed in a book all the time. They're not trying to disengage from the relationship. They're medicating. You know, it can be also helpful to talk to them about this as a form of medication. Addiction and self-medication, number five. Pain drives us to seek relief. And without recognition of the disease and proper treatment, depression will lead to self-medication. This comes in many forms, as we've already discussed. Entertainment is one of them. There are others, and each has its own destructive nature. Naturally, self-medication leads to leads a normal person's mind to think of illicit drugs, alcohol, but it can really be any substance that provides reliefs. And this can mean food, sugar, chocolate, caffeine, energy drinks, and even more natural substances such as vitamins and herbs and increased, that give increased energy. The person will drift to anything that helps, even in small amounts. And this also includes pornography and sexual types of self-medication. The sexual drive is one of the most powerful forces in the body, and it does relieve pain, if only temporarily. It is not uncommon for those dealing with depression to have a pornography and sexual addiction. They are simply using it for pain and suffering relief, but it does destroy so much more in their life. Almost all of these types of addictions will need to be treated with the treatment of the disease. Sometimes they can be as difficult to overcome as the disease itself. Now, almost everyone deals with a form of self-medication when they start treatment. It is very common for them to have several forms of self-medication. This is important to keep in mind, especially in a companionship. Addictions are often destructive to relationships as they can seem selfish, where there should be sharing and devotion to one another. Remember, with depression, it is the emotional pain that has instigated the addiction. This doesn't mean that the addiction will go away once the depression is managed, but it does mean that with help, it can be reversed. There is something important to note about the relationships that begin with one of the two individuals already having the disease. The love potion chemicals of the body feel very good. Once in a relationship, someone depressed can find the same type of addiction to the relationship as they do to any other substance. This addiction is often substantial and can feel 
smothering and burdensome sometimes. They will also have a tendency to do anything their companion wants just to keep the relationship and avoid the pain and depression. The addiction can and may often lead to abusive relationships and even breaking various commandments. Now, those watching this individual from the outside may not understand it. And the fierceness with which the depression and those, I'm sorry, those watching this from the outside may not understand it. And the fierceness with which the depressed defend the relationship. They may remove themselves from the sources of support, such as family and friends, to remain this to maintain the destructive relationship. The reality is that it is probably more the disease than poor choices. The best one can do is to stay connected with the person, even through the tough choices, and to be there when they're ready for treatment. In a committed relationship, treatment is critical to balancing the addictive issues. Now, number six, the person is not ready for treatment, or even to stay with the treatment. I would like to say that everybody who is depressed or is mentally ill acknowledges it and works with the treatment options perfectly. Uh, This isn't the case at all. Some will admit that depression might be an issue, and they won't want to try any treatment for a variety of reasons, stigmas and many things that they've heard. Some will go to treatment, but not stick with it, especially when a portion of the treatment might be medication. Now, this is very true for me as a bipolar. I would stick with the medicines for a time, but bipolars only want the depressions treated. We miss the highs of the disease, even if we don't admit that is why we don't stick with the medicine. It's probably true for almost anyone who has, who has had success with depression or other mental illness medications. They will have a tendency to not take the medications when they feel better and or any, stick with any other forms of treatment. They feel normal and they want to return to their normal patterns of life. However, the disease is always under the surface and will return and sometimes with greater vengeance. One of the more difficult things in a relationship will be to help your companion or the significant other to stay consistently with the treatment, even when they feel better. Often prescribed medications will make one feel a little dull with their emotions and feelings, and this dullness is something they want gone, even though it is probably keeping them from the worst feelings of depression. In any case, it's important to be a good steward of your companion and communicate the importance of treatment and to help them stick with it. Now, finally, number seven, this is important for the person who's giving care. The burden of helping another is very real to the mind and body of the one who's giving that support and care. The caregiver is going to need help and time to recover and refresh. This means that more than one or two people will need to be involved in the treatment and care so that the main caregiver can obtain needed rest. One of the worst things that can happen to someone trying to work through treatment is to have the one person providing the significant support collapse and have to spend significant time recovering because they didn't take care of themselves. I know that it will be hard to do, but remember to take care of yourself. Do something to take care of your mind and your body away, or do something to really take your mind and body away from the burden for a time. This may mean a favorite hobby, temple attendance, anything that helps. Certainly the Lord can only provide the needed strength, but he expects that we take care of ourselves. Now, the last portion of this podcast for today is for the spouse or significant other who is actually suffering. This is going to sound very similar to what I said about the child who suffers. Listen to your spouse, your friends, who are your true friends and your spiritual leaders. 
Depression is not something you can see from the inside. It is a terrible illness that turns your reality upside down. And while it is part of you, it isn't you. Your spouse and friends and those who love you can see a difference in you and what it is doing to your life. I know that it is difficult to imagine that your own body could be ill and depressed without you knowing first. But that is how depression works, and all mental illness for that matter. It changes you from the inside and makes everything slowly seem dark and meaningless. Yes, there are going to be days when you feel better than others, but overall this illness is slowly changing the person you once were. I know that you seek for peace and happiness you once enjoyed and can't seem to find. You search in relationships, entertainment, and maybe even in drugs and alcohol and whatever else you can obtain to mask the emotional pain. Just want the pain to end. Perhaps even suicide has crossed your mind. I know that pain. I know the desire and the lack of desire. And I even know the feelings of suicide. I know that you don't feel the spirit as you once did. It is difficult to feel or even imagine God and feel his presence. You try to do the right things, but all you feel is emptiness. The harder you try, the less you seem to feel what is right. You don't feel happy at church, reading scriptures, temple, or anywhere you should. If God does exist, it feels as though he's abandoned you. The effort you make without results seems futile and without meaning. When someone asks you if you believe the church to be true, the feelings don't come as they once did. You find it simply easier to back away from the church and its teachings because... Where there was once joy, now there's only emptiness and often pain. It breaks my heart to know that you feel the way you do. I have felt all those things and so much more of what you are feeling but can't express. If you want your desires to return, no, you want your desires to return. You want the feelings of the Spirit to return. You want happiness back in your life. You want to serve and feel those Wonderful, powerful moments of peace, and I understand that desire. It drives you. Maybe you have drifted into the world, searching for happiness, and made choices contrary to what you once believed, and how you feel lost. If you have felt any of these feelings and so many others, there is a place of peace, a place of happiness that can be found. What I do know is that you have an illness. It is not an abandonment of the spirit or the Lord turning his back on you. It is simply a chemical, physical change in the mind and body that can be treated. So when I said listen to those who truly love you, I mean listen to them so that they can help you. The treatment road is not an easy one, and you will need them. Likely there are addictions that you will have to heal, relationships that need mending, and so forth. But I can say with certainty that if you follow the path that leads to treatment, you will find a loving Savior who is full of mercy and who is waiting for you. You will feel spiritual things again. And you will also have tough days when you want to give up, but they will be far fewer than they are now. Your testimony isn't gone. It is simply covered by a disease so dark and deep that it simply needs some help to come back. Once your treatment takes hold, feelings will return. You will feel joy again. I know because I have also felt those feelings of joy again after a long season of darkness and emotional pain. 
So what I say again is listen, and you will find what you so desire. Well, that is all for today. We will continue next week with perhaps the other relationships in our lives. Child to parent relationships, friends and acquaintances, and a variety of other concerns. I wish you hope, help, understanding, and peace in your quest to help those who suffer. And for those who suffer, I really hope that you will find a measure of peace and life again. Now, as always, the Lord requires the fight, and then he can do his part. Talk to you next week.